So today we're continuing a six-week series called Experiencing God. Um, The first week we talked about relationships, R for relationships, understanding that it's about a relationship with God and growing in our relationship with each other. And this church, we actually do our best to try to teach you what it's like to have a relationship with God. I don't know about you, but I grew up hearing it all the time. Preachers would always say, it's not about religion, it's about relationship. But nobody ever taught me how to have a relationship with him. Am I alone? So trying to have that tangible relationship with God is so important. Then we talked about E is evangelism. Evangelism is a fancy churchy term for reaching the lost. When you're teaching or telling somebody about Jesus, you're, you're speaking the very heart of God into somebody's life, and you will experience God in those moments. You can go back and listen to some of these sermons on our website. L is for learning. What do we learn? Well, we learn the foundational, fundamental truths, right? No, that's not, that's not what we learn in this church. You do learn it, but it's more disguised. It doesn't sound so official, Okay. What we learn in this church is how to have that relationship with God. What does that look like? What does God like and what doesn't God like? We want to learn those things. And we want to learn what God does and what God is doing based on what He's done as well. So we learn the things of, of what, God is, what, what God says is important to Him. And the great part of it is you and me are very important to Him. So that's very comforting for us to know that along the way and to learn that. Uh, Today we're going to talk about adoration. Adoration. I needed to find a word for worship that started with A. All right, so we're going with adoration. We're going to adore God. We're going to worship Him, all right? So there's, there's five things when you adore God that I wrote down, and I'm sure there's more than this, so this is not an exhaustive list, but just to kind of start this, there's a few things that, there's five things that I want to just kind of go over as we get started. When you adore God, when you worship God, you are getting to the best you can possibly be. You're opening up the best you. When you place God on the plate and the place of his life and your life that he deserves to be, that's when you're going to get to the best you. Also, when you adore him, you lay aside your insecurities and you welcome him into your life as somebody that is greater than you, somebody that is much greater than you. When you adore him, you're saying, God, I welcome you into my life as somebody that's greater than me. And if you're intimidated by people that are greater than you, this is where you begin to find healing for that. God, I make you greater than than anybody. And if I have that relationship with you, I don't need anybody else. I don't need anything else in the respect of understanding that, you know, this world has hierarchies, right? And some people like to push some down and, and we feel like heels sometimes compared to the heads. And God says, no, you're part, of, you're part of me. You're with me. I bring up your social status. Number three, when you adore him, you're putting to death your own need to be worshipped. When you adore him, you're putting to death your own need to be worshipped. You know, you have this inner desire that God created you with to be, to be significant in life. And that's a good thing. 
We need to feel like we want to be significant. Why? Because that inspires us to do something good with our lives. It inspires us to do good in other people's lives. It inspires us to, to try to be better people because why? We want to be significant. But when significance in our lives gets out of whack, what happens? Well, we, have, we find it turns into a need to be worshipped ourselves, for people to do life my way, for people to fawn after us. Uh, the need for people to love and like your posts and pictures on, on social media, right? Uh, the need to be an idol, uh, American Idol. Uh, how long is that show going to go? It's just been renewed and it's like, oh my goodness, right? Uh, and worshiping God puts to death our need to be worshipped. How many of you need that? No, don't raise your hand. Worshiping God, number four, is recognizing the power and authority that he has is much greater than you. And therein is sanity. His power and his authority is much greater than you. And when you worship him, you're saying, God, your authority is greater than me. I'm going to do what you, you, what you want. I'm going to do things the way you say I need to do them. His authority is much greater than you, and in that, you find sanity. And number five, when you adore God, you let go of your emotional baggage and nihilism to embrace the moment of one much bigger than yourself and your pre- that's in your presence. Someone that is so big, someone that is so powerful, some, someone that is so awesome that pain, bitterness, unforgiveness seem very petty considering who's in your presence. You see, when you worship him and his presence ushers in, you find the ability to forgive those that hurt you, no matter how difficult or big it was. You suddenly realize, oh my goodness, I've got God in my life. Jesus is actually in my life. I now have the strength and the courage to let go of the petty things that people did to me. And what seemed like it was huge to you suddenly has been minimized to, oh, nothing compares to the surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior. And you find freedom from those things. So here's the, here's the interesting thing, though. God knows that we need these things so much that the beauty of this is God gave us himself to worship. Now consider that. He gave us himself to worship. Why? Because he knows that he's worthy of it. And more than that, he knows he's the only one that's worthy of it. The first two commandments uh, out of the Big Ten, God said this, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Egypt is symbolic for us today. If you remember, the Israelites were delivered out of Egypt. Egypt is symbolic of us today of the old life that you used to live. Y'all remember the old life before Christ? I know Harvey was worse than everybody. (laughs) You remember that life. And God delivered you out of that life and he brought you out of it out of the land of slavery. He says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in any form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. And this is so cool. Remember, we're talking about what God likes, what he doesn't like. He's always communicating this. And this is what the Ten Commandments are. Look at what he says. The reason he doesn't like us to worship other gods is also personal for him. He says, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. 
I don't like when you do that. Because I know there's not any real gods out there. And when you do something stupid and worship something little like an idol, it's just, it blows my mind. And I'm jealous of that. Why? Because I'm the one that actually deserves it. So God knows who he is. And he has looked behind every rock. He has searched behind every star. He looks on all the other planets. God can go anywhere in the universe and beyond. He has looked in the depths of the ocean. And he has found there is no other God. And he has the authority to say that. And he goes on in Isaiah chapter 44 that I just read from, to you here. Uh, Well, the prophet Isaiah wrote this. I didn't read it to you. Let me read it to you. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? That's what God says. I've looked everywhere. I've searched and there's none. And, And then later down in that chapter, it's interesting because God talks about in this chapter, he talks about how foolish it is. He says, these guys, I don't understand them. They go out and they cut down a tree and they they break the tree up into to firewood they put it on the fire they make a fire with this wood to warm themselves and they cook on it and he says the same tree they use to make an idol and they bow down and worship the idol of this wood that they just burned in a fire what is God talking about he's talking about somebody being crazy somebody being stupid right That's what he's talking about. He's like, that doesn't make sense. It it, it doesn't even compute. Why would they worship and bow down to something that they took the same product and put it in a fire, made a fire from it? It doesn't make sense. So what's the point? Worshiping God is sanity. Have you ever felt insane? Some of you were like... Worshiping God brings sanity to your life. It brings clarity to your life. It puts all things in order in your life. So, did you know that worry is idol worship? What are you worried about today? Have you ever considered that whatever it is that you're worried about, you're worshiping? worshiping it and it's just like the guy that took the tree and whittled an idol out of it made something out of it you take life's events and I take life's events and we whittle something out of it for us to worship something for us to worry about something for us to give our attention our time our effort our our mental thoughts our emotions we place it on the things that we worry right we worry about these things what do we worry about? We worry we're not going to get something we want, and we worry once we get it that we're going to lose what we've got. And we worry, 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 and we place all of it on that. I remember uh, one Christmas when the kids, John, My- all we had at that time was John Michael and Laura Ashley, our two oldest, and uh, the church that we worked at, I was, I was the sap. I was the senior associate pastor at the church. 
And um, we'd gotten a Christmas bonus the previous few years, and, and I was counting on that Christmas bonus at the end of the year to be able to buy Christmas presents, as well as to be able to pay off a few bills that I was finding myself needing to pay, right? And so I was counting on it. Well, the time came for us to, to um, be given the bonus, and it always happened at this annual planning event where we would plan the calendar for the next year and get vision for the next year and all of that. And we went to this event, and this year, instead of just doing it at the church, they did it at a nice hotel, and they put us up in nice hotel rooms, and, and everybody was there, the staff and, and all the leadership in the church were there, and, and it came time at the meal that they would normally give us this bonus, and I just realized, oh my goodness, they spent all of the bonus money on this trip. Oh no. <laughs> I'm in trouble. I've, I won't have money. You ever been there? A few times. I started worrying. And not just about Christmas, but about bills, right? And I became so worried that I became absolutely useless at this retreat. I didn't have ideas. I wasn't able to think. In fact, I got angry. Anybody ever been there? I was mad. Why would they do this? Negative thoughts started entering my mind. Don't they know what's important to their staff? Don't they understand this? And guess what? I didn't realize I was worshiping money at the time. Anybody ever been there? Oh, come on. Don't make me feel like I'm alone in this. I was worshiping money. Negative thoughts and feelings and anger. It was frustrating. And here's the thing. What happened? Christmas came and went. The bills got paid and kids got Christmas presents. Because, yeah, <laughs> the Jelly of the Month Club. God provided. God provided, right? Yeah, I went Clark Griswold on, on him. You know, this happens far too often in our lives. Suddenly we get broadsided. Something doesn't happen the way we want it to happen, and we get frustrated and we start worrying. You see, worry is worshiping whatever it is. It's the worshiping the wrong thing. That's worry. And what are you worried about today? What are you worried about today? What are you worried that isn't going to happen? Or what are you worried that is going to happen? And do you remember, Jesus is here. And if you're connected to Jesus... There's nothing to do but worship. There's still time to say it. If you're connected to Jesus, there's nothing to do but worship. There's nothing to worry about. And Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5. He talked about it. You see, instead of worrying that you won't have what you need, it's time to begin to thank God that he supplies for all of your needs according to what? You know the scripture, don't you? Instead of worrying about who is going to walk away from you or who you're going to lose in your life, what do you do? Thank you, God, that you'll never walk away from me. Thank you, God, that you'll never turn away from me. You promised it. You'd never leave me nor forsake me. 
can't tell you how many times I've, to- I've reminded him of that. Father, you've promised me you'd never leave me nor forsake me. And you've got to keep that in your head. God, thank you so much. And just begin to worship him. Thank you for always being there. It doesn't matter if they leave me. It doesn't matter if I lose them. It doesn't matter. As long as I've got you, instead of worrying that you're going to lose that job or not get that promotion, worship God. Father, you promised me that you're the one who sets one up and brings another down. You're the one that has me in my job, in my position, where I am, to do what you want me to do. I signed up for a life with you, and that means every day of work is a mission field for me to be where you place me. And if you want me to be up there, that's great. If you want me to be down here, that's great. I worship you. You've got to come to the place in your life where you truly just give your life over to him. And guess what? Your life will be good. Your life will be full. What's the point? The point is this. The more you adore God, the more your inner life gets put together. The more your inner life gets put back together. It arranges your emotions and everything. Listen, God doesn't need us to worship Him. We need to worship Him. We're the ones that need it. God doesn't need it, and God knows we need to worship Him for our own mental health, our spiritual health, our emotional health, and our physical health. God knows we need this, and so He gave us Him to worship. It's awesome. And without arrogance, in all of His awesomeness, He knows that He alone is worthy of your worship. So when you worship, God sees that. God hears it. God feels it. When you worship, when you lift him up, when you place him where he belongs in your life. King David wrote in Psalm chapter 22, and if you don't know anything about Psalm chapter 22, it's, it's, a, it's a, full of messianic prophecies, specifically about the crucifixion. In that chapter, there are things like the dividing of the clothes. They tore Jesus' clothes up and they divided them. They, they, uh, they cast lots for them. And all of that is in Psalm chapter 22. They t- it talks about his bones being exposed because he was beaten so brutally that they could actually see his bones. That was prophesied hundreds of years and written hundreds of years before Jesus ever experienced that. It was prophesied in there about the piercing of his hands and his feet in Psalm chapter 22, hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. And we have documents that exist to this day that are available for us to see with our own eyes that that this was written before Jesus was even born. And all of these things took place in, in his lifetime. It's awesome. And it's in this same chapter that David puts this information for us to know. Uh, One version of it says it this way. O you who are enthroned in, you God who are enthroned in the holy place where the praises of Israel are offered. All right, so what's he talking about? God's throne being where the praises of Israel are offered. King James Version said it this way. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest. What does inhabitest mean? Living. That lives in the praises of Israel. And then the Orthodox Jewish Bible, see if I can get this right, says, but atah kadash, O thou, that is 
but Lord, O thou enthroned in the Tehillah, Israel, in other words, the praises of Israel. You're enthroned on the praises of your people. Here's the point. God sets his throne. God lives among those who praise him. He inhabits there. He lives where the praises of his people are. How much is God in your house? Do you worship him throughout the week? God's a lot in my car, I'll tell you that. What kind of music? Now, I got to be honest with you. I love some of the old, old rock music and stuff, especially depends on which car I'm driving. <laughs> I love some of that. It's fun, right? But there's nothing better than turning on some kind of worship music like that song, In the Name of Jesus. Man, I could listen to that song all day long and just let the presence of God fill my car and fill my life. My car is my office, you know? You just let him fill your life and fill, your, fill what, where you're at. Has he set his throne up in your life? Have you allowed him to do that? Your praises allow him to do that. In the Bible, we have people worshiping God on a daily basis. We have them worshiping God multiple times throughout the day. We can read in the Bible about uh, people that celebrated holy days, specific holy days, celebrations, annual festivals, and of course the Sabbath. Once each week in the Bible on the Saturdays, they would worship in the church. And you read that Jesus was accustomed to going to church on Saturdays, right? Uh, so we also have specific moments throughout Scripture where people worshipped Him. Uh, there was spontaneous worship of God when, when they realized suddenly God's presence was there. They broke out in spontaneous worship towards Him, right? Then there was also times when uh, somebody experienced God's mercy and they realized, oh my goodness, God's mercy has just come into my life. And they fell on their faces and they worshipped Him. Then there were times that Jesus, you know, when he would walk into a room, especially after the resurrection, when they realized, oh, my God, he's God. Right. And they realized that they would fall on their face and worship him. So there are all kinds of times and events and activities and things of worship all throughout the scripture. But we also have uh, something specific that I want to take some time and talk with you about today that I think is is so powerful when it comes to you worshiping. That you're going to experience God in a greater way than you ever, ever probably have. And, and, and that is when you worship God in a moment of hardship. When you worship Him when things aren't going your way. Or when tragedy has happened. When you worship Him in a moment of trouble, you experience God. I look back on that situation over 20 years ago when I was worshiping money. And I think, man, what if I had just decided, you know what, Father, you're my provider. You're my boss. And if I get a bonus or not, that's your business, not these people. Right? That's your business. I work for you. Father, I worship you. I look back on that and I wish, man, that was an opportunity that I missed for God's blessing and God's favor in my life. Anybody ever missed that opportunity? 
There's no doubt in my mind that I've missed out on a lot of opportunities that I could have worshipped God and could have had more favor and blessings in my life. But I also know that there are times in my life that I actually did face tragedy, I did face struggle, and those moments when I did worship Him, that God took notice of them, and I can trust Him to, 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 to bring beauty to my ashes. Over the last year, when the worst of the worst happened in my life, I remember those moments when the pain was too much for me to bear, and the loss of my wife. There were times that I thought my heart was going to explode. Some of you have experienced that. And I know in those moments when I looked at him and I said, God, I worship you anyway. I love you anyway. I love you. And sometimes I'd have to grit my teeth and say it. Because it was that hard to just, God, I love you anyway. And he took note of it. I know he did. I know he did. He may not have brought my wife back, but I know he will trade those ashes for beauty. I know that he will. And through all of those moments of anguish, somehow I've, somehow I've, I think I've kept my sanity. Maybe you can (laughs) agree or deny it today. I think I've kept my sanity. I've barely missed any time in the pulpit. I mean, it's just absolutely amazing. Why? How have I kept my sanity throughout the process of all of this? Listen, my brain is not 100% there yet. I know that. But I know that my God is with me, and I know that in those times when I've worshipped Him, it's kept me at least mostly sane. And I'm so grateful for that. I've been able to keep the faith. I've been able to stay the course. You know, it's just, it blows my mind how we're still going, how we're still doing this and how God has given us the strength to continue to do what he called us to do. You see, this is what the the people in the Bible did in their times of trouble. And if you'll read it, they adored God. They worshiped God through their times of trouble. David captured this in uh, uh, Psalm chapter 34. He said this, I will extol. That is, praise enthusiastically. I will extol the Lord at all times, at all times, good or bad, right? His praise will always be on my lips. I will glory in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. What's what's he saying? He's saying, let those who are hurting, let those who are struggling, let them hear what I'm saying and let them rejoice. Let them worship. Let them praise God as well. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. And then down in verse 17, he says, the righteous. Who are the righteous? Those who have, in in our day, in the New Testament, those who have the blood of Christ applied to their life, right? His blood makes us righteous. He says, the righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to what? And saves those who are? The righteous person, you and me, that have accepted Christ into our lives may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. Isn't that beautiful? That's a messianic prophecy as well. 
So what makes this person righteous? The blood of Christ. But let me ask you a question. How more right can you be when you worship? If you want to be right about anything, worship God. That makes you right. The most right you can be is declaring His goodness. The most right you can be is when you bow at His feet and say, Oh God, I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm unworthy to be your servant. But here I am. That makes you right. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, and all hell's best comes against you, and you fall on your knees and you say, God, I worship you, I praise you in spite of my pain and struggle and my heartache. I adore you. I trust you. I know that you've got this. I trust you. This is all in your hands. You're my master. And when you do that, God takes note. And he'll show up and you'll experience him. I'll never forget that drive Coming back from Baylor Hospital about 3.30 in the morning, I've just seen my wife's beautiful body for the last time. All I had was the few things that I had given her that week, a bag of Jolly Ranchers, her phone, some clothes. Somehow I was able to worship on the way home. When I got home, I found that John Michael, I had told John Michael, I had awakened him when, after I got the call from the doctor and let him know where I was going. And when I got home, he had been praying and worshiping the whole time, asking God to raise her from the dead. Because he believes. But when he heard the garage door open and I hadn't called, he knew. What has got us through this? How are these kids up here playing and doing their ministry? Worship. See, one thing Angela and I did right is almost every day of these kids' lives and our lives, we had devotions together. And our house was a house of worship. And we taught them and we prayed with them. And they know in whom we believe. And when you apply worship in your life, and you put God on the throne where He belongs and only He belongs. You have hope. You have strength that you have no idea that you could possibly have. James David, would you come? I want to conclude with a story out of Acts chapter 16. There's a story about the Apostle Paul and Silas. One day they were going to a place of prayer and they met a slave girl who was demon-possessed. 
And this demon could tell her things about the future that apparently were correct. And her masters were using her for money, and man, they had plans to be wealthy from this girl. Isn't that sad? Well, she had seen Paul and Silas coming into town and preaching and stuff, and so she went everywhere that they went, and she started shouting to the top of her lungs, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. Now, that doesn't sound bad, does it? What was wrong with that? Well, the problem with it was that Paul and Silas were doing some really dangerous work. And so they preferred to be in the shadows where nobody really knew what they were doing except the people that they were ministering to and, and trying to reach the lost quietly, unobtrusively. They were trying to do what needed to be done to reach the lost and to start the churches. And suddenly they've got this woman coming behind them screaming, Hey, these are servants of the Most High God. They're trying to get you saved. Sounds great. What's the problem? It's going to get them killed. Look what it says. And, and Paul knew that casting out this woman's demon was just going to bring all the more attention to him. And so he delayed it. But this went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And instantly it left her. Her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered. Horrible men. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. A mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods for casting a demon out of this woman. Stripped and beaten. They were severely beaten. And then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet into stocks. You understand, this guy was responsible to make sure these guys didn't, didn't get loosed, right? His life was on the line. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Praying and singing hymns. They've been beaten and they're in shackles and they're, in this, they're praying and worshiping in the middle of the night. And the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of every prisoner fell off. God showed up. Why? Because they were worshiping. Habakkuk chapter 3, 
Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. That's the attitude that we need to have. What is God's promise and why do we do this? Because he's promised some things. What's he promised? All the way at the end of the book, Revelation chapter 21, it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. That's our hope. That's our hope. So though there be no fruit on the vine, God is still on the throne. Even though things aren't just like we expected or hoped they would be, God is still on the throne. He will help you. But you've got to worship. And some of you are worried about some things today. Jesus is here. Let it go. There's someone way more important than what you're thinking about here. Would you bow your heads? Do you know this Jesus? Do you know him? He loves you. And he's knocking on the door of your heart. And he's saying, I'll come in if you let me. Would you let me? Yes, Jesus. Come into my life. I want you to be on the throne in my life. You are bigger than all my problems, all my worries, my sin, my addictions. You're bigger than that. And I place you on the throne of my life. And I want to worship you from now through eternity. Come on, let unforgiveness go. It's just keeping you bound. Let it go. Jesus, come into my life. Your forgiveness is so great. I let, I let it all go. I turn them over to you, God. What they did to me is yours. I give it to you. And I worship you. I worship you.